Hi, my name is Jamie Roberts. And I'm Robert Lendrum. And this is the Running Scared Podcast. Where we review the films that had you running away, but coming back for more. And we're coming back for more tonight. Rob, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. You know what? Uh, sitting in the basement, getting ready to pod. <laughs> getting ready to pod. I'm telling you what I'm going to do right now. Crack one of these. Because, Jamie, we should celebrate, buddy. This is our EP25. If all, if all falls like I think it does in the schedule and how it will get posted, this will be EP number 25 of the Running Scared podcast. So congratulations. Congratulations, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Hell yeah. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a little bit of red wine. Actually, I'm taking a little bit of a break off beer for a little bit of uh, maybe maybe a month, maybe maybe two. <laughs> During the – well, hey, listen, over Christmas and then we went on to virtual learning. I'm not drinking while I'm teaching. Logic. Really. I was going to say <laughs> that. A lot of beers while you're doing virtual. <laughs> no, it's just – you know what? Anybody that's out there, like when you're home and you don't have to – I don't know. You just don't have to look good for anybody. You don't have to go anywhere. Like you just, <laughs> you're just more inclined to have that. You know, if you have two beers, normally you're gonna have that third beer. Uh, you know, if you have a, a glass of wine, you may have that second glass of wine. So, anyways, like I enjoy a drink, but I just thought, you know what? I'll take a little bit of a break. It's coming through the winter. Let's get ourselves ready for kind of March break when I'm off, and then you know we can we can amp up the drinking again. But it is Rob. This is really exciting. I can't believe we made it. Well, I can believe. I was actually asking my wife about it. You know, if she thought we were going to make it to 25 episodes, and she she said yeah, and I love that about her. She's always so supportive. But we've got to 25 episodes, and you know that includes jogcasts, that includes film reviews, that includes specialty episodes. Uh, you know what? It's an accomplishment. I'm. I'm proud of us, man. Yeah, I am too. I mean, we're still learning as we go and we're changing things if we want to change them. And I think we're keeping it an open kind of open slate for us to do what we want here. But yeah, no, I think it's something worth uh, celebrating. And I'm celebrating with a uh, a Georgian Bay gin smash. So I'm also off the- Oh my God. <laughs> I can't help smash. it. I know. These things are so- <laughs> What do you think? This is July? Like I can't, is- I can't believe it. Like they're so crushable. Like they are just like- they're candy. I mean, there's not even sugar in them. I don't think. Let me check this. No, my sister was all over them a few, like oh. <laughs> a few is. years back. They were a big. They they became really popular. Big cottage drink. But um, I like them better. Those white claws. Not nothing wrong with white claw, but I just this this is so much nicer. Yeah, I don't know if I'm feeling the seltzer thing, man. I like a carbonated drink. I don't know why. Yeah. But yeah, all right, yeah. All right. So, hey, tonight we are doing Train to Busan, which we've been talking about for a while. We delayed it one app only because we got an interview with Jay Lim Lee, who's a reporter for the uh, – you can help me with the pronunciation here, James? Okay. So she's a reporter for the uh, the Korea Chung Ang Times, which right. is an affiliate of the New York Times in Korea. And she is the – or she's one of the TV and film critics out there doing work. And she had spent some time with the choreographer – uh, for um, for this movie, so you know, we contacted her. She was gracious enough to respond and yeah. say that she would join us. And we had an amazing, uh, amazing interview with her that we'll share later on the podcast. But you know, it was, a, it was really good because we talked about about you know perhaps um, not having well, we don't have a, per, a perspective for, uh, from Korea and bringing on somebody who's who's who lives there and who's really seeing the ascendance of K drama, K film. K-pop from that side, I thought was really informative. Uh, she had some good takes. It was a good interview. Yeah, and and 
absolutely like you know two white dudes from Hamilton. I think she helped color in the sort of uh, beyond our perspective a little bit, which was helpful. And and she had some takes on the movie that I wasn't totally expecting that were interesting to think about. So that's great. We're gonna just uh, we're gonna get to that before we get to kind of our breakdown. Um, but uh, the other thing to celebrate, Jamie, is our Jogcast number three just went out. So for those of you who have been uh, sitting on that, please uh, hit the gym. No, uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Like I've been sitting around doing nothing. So um, if you need some exercise, you know, pop one of those in, see if that motivates you. We would love to hear back if if you're feeling it or not. We are already working on our next one. We're probably going to mess with the format a little bit, change it up. Uh, but yeah, you know, we're keeping it moving. Now tonight we're looking at Train to Busan, as we mentioned. This is a fun zombie film. It really is a new take. Uh, it kind of took the world by storm when it came out. Like uh, it was a, a like we said, unique take uh, from Korea. And one of the reasons being that it doesn't use a lot of CGI. It's very much using uh, actors and people to to do low like low budge kind of effects, including some really interesting like the zombies look really interesting this and that's because yeah. of the choreographer and we'll talk about that more. Um, but the one thing I was thinking, James, like, you know, one of the cool things about this movie is it's based on a train. That's the setting. A moving train moving from essentially the northwest of South Korea moving to the southeast of South Korea to Busan. And uh, on a train is such a cool like setting. I mean, if you've watched Snowpiercer, there's a similar vibe. But uh, this idea that you're trapped, but you're moving, and there's sort of like hope that when you get to the end, you've got some relief. You know, when Sang Ho Young came out with this uh, movie, the director uh, in 2016, one of the things he he completely got right was uh, was the the pacing of the film because it's set on a train. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But Rob, I got to ask you: Are there any other um, instances of like a train story, some uh, in in pop culture that you can think of that sort of reminds you, resembles, you know how this kind of plot unfolds in this movie. I mean, it reminds me of Speed, right? Like trapped, like uh, trapped on the bus. And, oh, and the, the bus, kid. yeah, yeah. But you know what popped into my mind, and this is a very Canadian perspective, is the uh, Canadian Heritage commercial. If those of you out there have know Canada, we have these heritage commercials that commemorate sort of big moments in Canadian history. There is this great story about this guy named Vince Coleman. He was a train dispatcher in Halifax. And I don't know what year it was. I don't know, back in, I think it's 1917 or something. There was- Oh, is this the Halifax explosion? You gotta get these people out of here. That ship is gonna blow. The train. Coleman, there's no time. The train's coming in towards Pier 6. I've gotta warn you. Come on, Vince, come on. There are 700 people aboard and I've got to stop it. Come on, acknowledge. Halifax was devastated. 9,000 wounded, 2,000 dead, including Vince Coleman, dispatcher. Yeah, there was a boat coming into town filled with TNT or something. I don't know what it was filled with, but the fucking boat explodes. But before it explodes, this guy, Vince Coleman, gets on the the Morse code. The Morse code to the train. <laughs> he tells the train, like, stop, stop, stop. Don't come into town. Don't come into town. There's a huge fire coming. Like, somehow they knew this was going to happen. He warns the train. The train is able to stop. And the town of Halifax, like, explodes. This guy dies in the explosion. But he saved all the people on that train. So – I mean, there's a movie waiting to be made there. I guess it's only a good ending, but anyway. <laughs> you know, actually, when I think about it, you, you think about this this film and you kind of, you start on a train and then there's, a, there's a, you know, point A to point B and then it's this constant motion, which 
you know, figuratively and literally, the, the movie is moving, right? It makes me think of Anaconda, Rob. When we think about... <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> I did not mean to tee this up. <laughs> when we think about, we get on a boat, but like, you know, they have to stop, they have to go around, like there's different, mm-hmm. there's different sort of instances. I think that idea works really well. And, you know, just for anybody that hasn't seen the film, essentially, and we're going to do this sort of one-line plot summary that Rob came up with. If you haven't seen the film, go listen to one of our five podcasts about the film Anaconda. That's five of our episodes, by the way, of those 25 are all about Anaconda. It snakes after this big. So so really, we're only at episode 20. No, but for the, for the, for the, the plot of this movie, essentially, you know, there's some kind of, you know, leak at a, at, at some kind of, you know, biomedical facility and that what is that that's going to sort of start um, infecting people and it turns them rabid and it, it's the it's start of a zombie apocalypse. And the story is them getting on one of these KTX trains from Seoul and they need to get to Busan, which is down in the southeast coast. And, you know, they're they're about to leave and then somebody infected gets on the train and then, you know, everybody starts becoming zombies on the train. And there's, you know, just kind of the story goes on like that. They have to stop at one station to seek help, but that, you know, doesn't turn out so whoa, well. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I feel like you're practicing your one-liner. Let's go. That's it. We're going to do it right now. <laughs> you are, okay. You're warming yourself up. I'll let you go first. This okay. is the challenge, folks. We killed the 60-second plot summary challenge. Now what we're doing is one sentence to summarize the whole movie. Basically, it's like the log line or like... Yeah, like if you look on the IMDb, there's usually like a one-liner about a film. This is us trying to make it up on the spot. Okay, but one of the things is you're going to have to say the, the title of the film. Okay. You're going to have to pause, and then you're going to have to deliver the line. Okay? Oh, is that okay? Why? Why? Can you work it into the sentence? Is I just feel like it's I just feel like it's more dramatic that way. Okay, okay. I'm going to go first, Rob. Yeah. Okay. Train to Busan. Personal redemption story set upon the backdrop of a fledgling zombie apocalypse, brushed with the strokes of social commentary of greater current society. <laughs> keep going, keep going, keep going. No, that's it. <laughs> oh, that's the summary. Okay. See, I was going to go more like this. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Train to Busan. A father tries to take his young daughter across the country, but unbeknownst to him, a zombie apocalypse has broken out right on his heels. They're on the train, they're out to get him. And if he doesn't make it to Busan, they're all gonna die. I don't know, something like that. I, that no, that's good, but that's but that's two sentences. Oh, did I, oh, <laughs> well, it depends on your punctuation, I guess. Okay, so anyways, not a bad first, not a bad first go. We can let the listeners decide which one was, which one they thought was, you know, more encompassing in the film, but I like this. I think this replaces the 60 second challenge and this will be, um, Rob, this is, this is going to be a good segment to go at the top of the pod for sure. Rob, we are very excited to have a guest on the pod today. We'd like to welcome Jalen Lee from the Chunong Daily uh, from South Korea to the pod. Jalen, how are you tonight? 
Hi, I'm fine, Rob. How are you? <laughs> that's Jamie. I'm Rob, but that's all right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jamie. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's all good. So you're in Seoul, and you are you a film? Do you do film reviews as a as a key part of your writing, or what else do you report on? Uh, interviews and uh, maybe deep analysis on the <laughs> Korean film in general. I guess is what I do. Perfect. That's great. Um, so softball, just to get you started, Jaylen, how did you get into the business? Mm-hmm. Uh, I started in 2019, and I, I basically, I, I think, I just, I mean, I of course, I wanted to get, I to get employed, and I didn't know that I would be covering films, but that was the spot that was left open for me, so I had no choice but to take it. But I actually love films in general, and before before I started this job. I would love to like visit cinemas alone. I liked going there alone, alone, and just watching it without caring about anything else. And like grabbing a big bowl of caramel popcorn and just sitting <laughs> there watching the cinema film itself was like a haven for me. And I guess yeah, that's I've always been that way. And I guess it's well when it becomes a job, it becomes a job. So. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. I don't watch films alone anymore. But um, yeah, it's not. It hasn't become a hobby. It has grown out of it. But I still love films, and I'm really amazed by how much the Korean cinema has progressed. I guess. Yeah. So speaking of that, uh, Korean cinema mm-hmm. is is huge now. All in media in general. I mean, we've talked about television, K-pop, music. Uh, obviously, things like Squid Game I have know. come over in uh, with Netflix, but other films such as Train yeah. to Busan, as well as Parasite, had a huge mm-hmm. impact a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And even going back, like mm-hmm. Old Boy has a cult following. Uh, the, Korean, mm-hmm. uh, the Korean entertainment industry as a whole has really made an impact globally. Can you talk a little bit about how that's like, maybe not how that's happened, but are you seeing, are you guys feeling that back home that like, wow, we're really starting to make waves around the world now? Yeah, but that was that was really interesting because I didn't know that old films that's been released way before, like twenty years before, fifteen years before, are now also coming through for to the global audience. I we didn't really feel that we all we only know that like recent hits like Parasite, and maybe Train to Busan, and of course Squid Game. Like it's Squid Game has become like we we received this these reports that it's become like most watched Netflix original series in the world, and it has ranked number one for. 46 consecutive days, but blah. But I don't think we're actually feeling it yet because the Korean viewers only like just are just receiving this, these data and we're not really actually feeling it. But it's really interesting to hear that. Yeah, and I just actually want to jump in here. Uh, you know, I, as people mm-hmm. that listen to the pod would know, I'm a, I'm a teacher and I teach grade eight. Why, why do you think it's connecting um, specifically with a young audience? And I say that because my grade eight class is obsessed with Korean media, with <laughs> Korean music, with BTS and with mm. Korean film. Mm. So what do you think about, I don't know, the filmmaking style or, you know, what's the appeal to a younger audience? Actually, before if, before you guys pointed this out, I mean, I know K-pop music actually also had a very huge hit around the globe, especially with the young audience. But I had no idea that younger audience also loved Korean movies and dramas and but um, just from my point of view, I think that I think it, although it started with Parasite, like I think the younger audience love the Korean emotional part of it. Like they love the how the Korean characters connect with each other, I guess, like the unity of it. And um, I don't know, maybe they just love that 
the, like these characters are trying to get through something together as a group instead of a an individual or one particular type of special someone getting through and saving everyone else. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why the Korean narrative has um has resonated with people, especially with the younger audience so much. Jay Lim, I find some Korean uh, films really funny. Like I find the sense of humor of Korea really interesting. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. is that that's something that seems unique to me about the the Korean filmmaking perspective? Yes, we are we are like yeah, we're calm. Yeah, like <laughs> everyone is. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember a film called uh, Sex Equals mm-hmm. Zero. I don't know if you remember this, but two thousand Sex Equals Zero. Yeah, that's the English translation of the title. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It was kind of like an American Pie spinoff. And it like American Pie kind of uh, Korean version, and it's so dumb and funny. But then it gets so serious by the end because it becomes uh-huh. a morality story about a. a oh yeah, <laughs> you see yeah, this? Yeah, I'm seeing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, this yeah. is a classic. Yes, it's a classic. Classic. Mm. So the the other question, just around uh, your interest in film and 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 uh, even Korean cinema, is: Are you a yeah. horror fan? A horror movie fan? Actually, I'm not. I mean, I don't really like films that lives that that leaves a bad taste in the mouth, and usually horror and occult films do. So, like, I don't want to leave cinema feeling bad. But <laughs> I think, but strangely enough, all the f- films or content that's like become popular, like even Parasite, I, I was I had about to say, really, yeah, it's it's I violent really content. Creepy. I felt really creepy, and I was really like just just creeped out by just by the ending of it. And I, and I wasn't really feeling that well after I saw I, my, I, my head hurt literally. So yeah. And it, this it, movie yeah. too, Train to Busan has a bit of a sad twist ending or a, a harsh uh-huh. ending. Old boy has a really harsh ending. Uh-huh. Um, and that seems to be a common trait in, uh, yeah, in yeah, Korean filmmaking yeah. is that there is like a sort of bend at the end that makes you go, Ooh, yeah. that's a little uncomfortable. Mm, mm. That is true. Question here. Um, mm-hmm. What do you, you know, even even I guess this movie would kind of leave a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth. But the mm-hmm, movie that we're mm-hmm. talking about on this pod is is Train to uh, Busan and Busan. Yeah, what was the reception like when this film came out? Mm. You know, when you saw it for the first time, what did you think? What did your what did your friends think? Anybody that you worked with, other other critics, what was um, what were people talking and saying about it? Uh, it was actually one of the uh, most highly anticipated films of the year because it was the first zombie blockbuster that has been around because there has technically before Train to Busan, there's been no apocalypse films before. And um, there were a, sort of like a mixed reviews because um, really? people were really, yeah, it wasn't all of that. It wasn't all positive. Like people, some people were really amazed by the quality of the zombie movements, of course. Um, that was... I, and I have no opinions about that. It was top notch, but maybe towards the ending, people had different opinions because, um, and I wrote about this a lo- quite quite frequently, and it it pops up a lot in Korean culture, especially in Korean content. And there's this word, key word called shinpa, and it's a Korean term referring to overly emotional scenes, like stemming from cliches such as like relationships between lovers friends and family or like Mm -hmm. the sacrifices they make for their loved ones and training to busan was like a typical ending of that like the father sacrifices himself for the daughter and um people korean audience have like a very they are very sensitive towards that because we've seen this kind of repetitive drama over the years and we've become i guess Mm. worried to it 
grown word to it. And touching upon relationships and touching upon emotions is a sensitive subject in Korean for the Korean audience, I think. And while we are, while we think that we can do the best at it, and maybe the global audience these days are feeling it, like they are saying that oh, Korean. Uh, Korean content, the characters of Korean content are different. They're different from Hollywood. They're more emotional. They're more sensitive. But for us, we're like, yeah, we've been seeing this for over the years. And maybe Train to Busan had a taste of mm. that, a touch of that. Is it melod- me, like that, melodrama, like well, too far kind of thing? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like the vulnerability of the character is almost mm. too much to handle sort of thing? Or, mm. or cartoonish a bit? Yeah. Like a, cartoonish a, and exaggerated maybe? Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, it's in, it's interesting you you say that mm-hmm. because one of the final scenes is, you know, he's having the moment. We know that he's not been <laughs> yeah. the most attentive father yeah. and we uh-huh. know that he's having yeah. he, he's having an internal struggle. But uh-huh. when you talk about the melodrama and you talk about those exaggerated and there's a term that you use there, um, those exaggerated. Yeah, mm-hmm. Shinpa, those exaggerated scenes, you know, the flashback when he's dressed mm-hmm. all in like white linen and he's holding it. I know. Like, yeah, yeah. That it's like, what? It's like, so, yeah. What, why? <laughs> Suddenly why? And that it also shows yeah. up in Peninsula. Like you, you didn't the, wear white linen, Jamie, when you held your baby for the first time? That's all I wore. Dude, I hadn't slept in three days. And <laughs> <laughs> I know. So why must we describe like paternal love that way? Why, why should it be pure? And... Um, how come if he wasn't the attentive father that he was before, why is he doing it now? I mean, of course he should be doing it now because he's the father and he loves his daughter. But then, dude, you should be you should have been more attentive before. Like, don't leave regrets. Sometimes it takes an apocalypse it's, to, to well, it's, make you realize. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like it's almost like the, those two characters, those two, you know, the um the father and the businessman, those very extremely flawed characters almost needed mm. to be mended before the film was mm. over. Yeah. unnecessarily you know yeah and yeah. the father is looking at that guy as what he's going to become if he stays uh, on the path that he's on right yeah yeah uh, absolutely yeah that for, juxtaposed together and just you know 20 30 years in the future but that's really interesting and i wonder if that over emotion which is mm. you know a, sort of a base of critique in the korean audience is m- mm. maybe perhaps the thing that's like what these young kids really like about these movies. I know. Like, you know. You know what I mean? And that's like a younger audience kind of attaches and connects to it. It's not a Korean audience. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's a Canadian audience, although, you know, we've got many diaspora communities here, but that's, mm-hmm. that's an interesting thought. And I'm glad you, you brought that up. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, what were some of the, was there any other um, uh, critiques of the film other than just the over emotion or was it generally that was the main thing that people didn't like and everybody, you know, as a as a zombie film, people actually thought it was really good? Oh, as a zombie film, I think everyone, I, I think a lot of people, I mean, just majority, the mass loved it. And the uh, the reviews from the critiques, uh, the critics were all similar. Like they say, it was a great start, great zombie zombie film from until the middle. And then from the end, the story goes the story turns dead because of the overly <laughs> emotional scenes. And, uh, we call this we call this like stimulating tear works, like, like stimulating the waterworks. Oh yeah, like they make yeah, you yeah. cry. Yeah, they force yeah. you to cry, and people don't really like that. Yeah. Well, it was I, it was definitely it's it's very noticeable 
when mm. when you just see the the emotional impact of the char- the mm. characters you know what i mean and mm. see, listening you talk about it, it kind of puts a different spin on the whole character arc but mm. anyways so so the other thing uh jay Lim, that i think mm-hmm. uh at least north american audiences noted is it seemed like the film had a very cutting critique of i would say capitalist society but definitely very specific to south korean society in general too mm-hmm. um and there's a few key things that I was latching onto by watching it, like the media being represented as being very, um, like basically uh, misinforming the the mass audience. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this dynamic between the elderly and the youth, where the elderly mm-hmm. are sort of being forgotten or, or being pushed mm-hmm. to the side, mm-hmm. and then um, gender roles, of course, and the and the role of like the sort of patriarchal uh, leadership that takes over this film, um, mm-hmm. represented by this the villain that we I forget his name. But the guy at the end, basically, who's the last man standing, who finally gets got, yeah. we're, we're waiting for him to get killed. Um, the the Korean businessman who keeps pushing the train to do what, as he says, and he kind of assumes yeah. control, and everybody sort of cows to him. I and think he, Young 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 Suk is his name in the in the well. That's the actor, or the character. That's the character. The character. Yeah. 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 So. Um, they seem pretty biting to me. Some of these critiques were were they read that way back home, or was there a different take? I think, I think director Yun Sang Ho, the director, is known for like just creating. He wanted to, I guess, spin, create discussions, open the grounds for what kind of humanity that what what like what kind of different faces of humanity that we live upon, and how should we live and. Like even in the like the worst environments, there can be good people, and even in the worst environments, there can be bad people. And I think he wanted to just create a discussion about how the direction that we should be living is what he said. I think in the interviews, and but um even in like, his latest Netflix series Hellbound, I think it's similar. Like we, he's like pointing, he's really sharply pointing out the social satires, the satires, and like the way the people turn really pessimistic or the way people are very evil and the way people are very uh what do you call it being selfish and being egoistic and egocentric and i think he just wanted to like want people to look back on themselves and see the society that we're living in and i think he does and i think he does that by creating these kind of like uh fan like these horrors such as zombie it was zombies in the train to busan in hellbound it was the it was grim, the green, the green weepers, right? The who suddenly appear out of nowhere, and I think th- those are just like momentums, like to s- trigger discussions, I guess. Yeah, you, you know, we're actually reading a book in class, and one of the lines mm. that sticks out is the author mm. uh, writes, you know, it's like when you when when there's when there's things that happen, existential threats, you really peel mm. back the mm. thin the thin veneer of of mm. society, right? Mm. Just mm. that little that that little layer that kind of exists that allows yeah. us to function yeah. properly. And then when mm. something happens, an existential threat, you see that a lot of us become self selfish you know turn inward ugly and yeah it, it very ugly it's interesting there's a lot of good stuff in there and one of the things that i picked out you know personally is how do you read the two sisters when the elderly sister at mm-hmm. the end has been has been bitten and she's in the the um the one train car the other sister she says like Oh fuck it! You know you've been giving mm. everything to everybody else your whole life, mm. and then she opens mm. up, she opens up the train door, and then lets all the zombies in, almost, mm-hmm. you know, running like a bit of a suicide mission. Was that 
you know, that was clearly an intentional thing that the director did. How do you how do you read that that one scene there? Was that almost to get back at all the selfishness, like that ugliness that you were just talking about? Or do you think there might be uh, something else there? I think it's also based on the our social, cultural and historical texts that we are basing on because um I guess uh elderly women around that age, they've been they may they've been through the Korean War and I guess yeah. they have always been because of the patriarchies uh, of the distinct Korean uh, dynamics, uh, I mean, like we are like facing a lot of gender conflicts nowadays, and we're trying to like, I guess, like of like in feminism, we're trying to like overstep that. But back in the mm. days when it was before, and I guess it, it's traditionally the woman has been the one who has to like sacrifice everything, like uh, they had to okay. mm-hmm. do, yeah, everything. And I think they're the director wanted to say something about that like um so this is your tribute uh, i guess a tribute to the woman who's been out there and who's been through so much and i think i mean i don't know i haven't heard i haven't heard him from him exactly but i think no, that's that, how i decipher it yeah yeah that's interesting it makes total sense mm. rob yeah so let's get into like the the way the zombies are represented, because I think oh, yeah. with this film, the mm-hmm. one of the breakthroughs was the aesthetic choices about zom- how the zombies will be, uh, how they are represented, how they are uh, depicted. So in there's a whole history of zombies, and it's kind of a fun game, I think, for a lot of directors to decide, like, what's my zombie going to be? Because if you look at the classic ones, they were slow moving but relentless, right? They didn't. They mm. it took forever to kill them, but they just kept coming. They had one goal in mind that was to eat your brains, but they moved real slow, like um, George Romero's yeah, zombies going way like, back, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you got like uh, Michael Jackson, where they can dance, and then you got um, <laughs> you know you get to Twenty Eight Days Later, and now they're full speed and they're running. Um, and then there's that Will Smith film, I Am Legend, where they, they're not exactly zombies, but whatever those guys are. Well, they're are. like superhuman. They've yeah. got, you know, like Marvel characteristics, like they're right. running very quickly. Yeah. And they're super strong, but they don't, they don't like the light. So like they create these conditions, but the character, like these monsters all kind of have a look. And then this film comes along and there's something very unique about how they move, about how they act, uh, how they uh, obviously they have like this very con- contortionist style where their arms yeah. kind of flip over their shoulders and they kind of mm-hmm. walk on their own ankles, like as if their legs were broken and it still doesn't matter. They will continually push forward. Mm-hmm. So, um, talk to us about your interview with, uh, um, Chung Young, Chung yeah. Young the choreographer yeah. who was, uh, yeah. tapped to, uh, work on this film. Mm. So, uh, Chun uh, Young told me that director Yeon Sang-ho actually knew the genre, the dance genre of the one that he's uh, currently involved in, and that's called Bone Breaking. And I believe that it originated from Brooklyn. And I think, uh, so he's in this um, uh, dance club called Centipes, and that a uh, dance crew called Centipes. And I guess it's the sole Bone Breaking crew, dancing crew in Korea. And... Interesting thing about him is that he originally did not major in dancing. He majored in something totally different. And then he just uh, started to dance after he entered college. And I guess he wanted to do something special. And he's been working on the, uh, he's been working on bone breaking until he was recruited to work on the other uh, occult film called The Wailing. Have you heard of it? The Wailing, yes. Yes, I have. Yeah, by by director Naung Jin. Yeah. 
It's about Korean shamanism and occult uh, mythology. And um, and from there, he was spotted by director Yeon Sang-woo to work on his film, Train to Busan. And originally, he uh, Young told me that director Yeon did not show like prior Hollywood zombie films that uh, that he anything else, but he showed this um, Japanese animated film called Ghost in the Shell. Oh it's yeah, a okay. Japanese yeah Japanese oh, yeah. cyberpunk yeah. media yeah. franchise yeah, and uh, director Yeon focused on the AI robots like strange contorted movements, and um, Jeon Young was in- Jeon Young said he took um, he took inspirations from like actually video games such as like i don't know video games but the ones that he told me were from software and dark souls bloodborne were the ones that he told me Hmm. and i think he also likes japanese comics like mob psycho 100 and one punch man oh yeah and yeah yeah so he said that he likes to take um he likes to take inspirations from comics and games because if he adapts it from then then the audience can't doesn't really realize it like if 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 like if he takes it from like other hollywood prior hollywood films then it becomes an homage homage but when it becomes yeah when he takes it from when he takes it something from a comic then he can actually adapt it into his own style yeah and it's an interesting one the ghost in the shell comparison because that's Mm. a film that's a story about ai um Mm. who are moving out of robotic bodies because robotic bodies were designed to look human and mm. the AI is like, I don't need a human body. Why would I need this mm. body? And mm. so when they move, like or, or in this, in one of the scenes where they occupy uh, the shell, the robot body, to them, it, to the AI, it's very clumsy and 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 it's there's nothing natural about it. So it's very, mm. it's a very interesting source point for him to pull from. And you can mm. really see in the film with the uh, with the zombies that just like they flip their whole shoulders over mm, on these really mm-hmm. fast movements in there. Yeah. Like I said, they kind of don't really seem to care about the physics of their ankles or their, mm-hmm. or, you know, and they, and they look like inhuman. Yeah. No, just with the, the aesthetic and the look of them, especially the first um, infected victim that, that transformed oh, into a yeah. zombie, you know, yeah. when she stands up and, uh-huh. and she's in that contorted position, but she's uh-huh. got the dark hair and it's, it's like over her eyes uh-huh. It was, it, you know, you, you, when you said homage to Hollywood films, it made me think uh-huh. of an o- homage to The Ring. Uh-huh. When you've got, you know, I don't know if you've seen that film, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah like have, the, yeah. you know, the, the the girl that's in the well, that's in the TV, uh-huh. like she's got the yeah. same kind of hair that's um yeah. that's over her eyes, you know. Uh-huh. Um, Lim, the actress that plays that character, she's uh, actually Shimon Young. Yeah. yeah, she's actually pretty well known, and yet her uh, part yeah. is very. Uh, yeah, small. short, but but yeah, well, small, but very intense. Yeah, as small as a human, and then huge as because she comes back quite a few times as a zombie. Mm. Did you? Did anyone speak to her? But I mean, it must have been a fun acting challenge for her to like be in that role for so long. But mm. I think that's kind of interesting. It's kind of like a almost like in how Scream they cast uh, Drew Barrymore, killed her in the first scene. Mm-hmm. So it's this like thing where it's like the audience would have recognized her, right? Mm, of course and then and then to have her die so quick but then sort of come back to life in this form i just think that's a really fun way to uh bring your zombies to life again to like really create a character out of them um mm-hmm. anyway yeah so um i i believe that she actually practiced even though her like appearance was really short because she had to like practice the way like these zombies move she, i think she of uh, went through physical training for like prior like to four to five months before shooting so that he, she can actually do the movements. 
Yeah, that was my follow up there. Mm. How, like how how many of these because there are scenes where there are a lot of zombies and yeah and yeah the, and and the movements uh don't seem as trained or that the actors or actresses don't uh-huh. look as trained but mm-hmm. there are some where they looked very trained so i was wondering if you got a sense with your conversation with the choreographer like what kind of um training regimen was involved to get these actors and actresses ready for the uh, movie yeah so they all all the extras they were auditioned they were they went through auditions and they went through physical trainings to be singled out and of course the choreographer such as Chao Nyang himself was actually in the movie like you know the ones oh, that really? you see the practice ones yeah he was in the movie he was one of the like i don't know he was he showed up multiple times in the movie as different characters so i think the movements that the those tr- extremely trained movements that you saw were actually done by him or other, maybe other members of his crew but um, so he went through so he went through auditions to pick all all of these extras, and I think one of the reasons and he, and he told me about this that um like compared to Hollywood films, uh, Korean film industry still lacks the capital, and we still mm. lack the uh, technology. So that and he and he took the example from the World War Z, and like in those kind of movies, like they do motion captures and have mm. like the movements of the experts incorporated into like the pack of different zombies, right? Yeah, the, the CGI. Where, uh, yeah. yeah, the CGI, the whole group of them pour out and then it's all done by the experts. But in Korea, we uh, in maybe back in 2016, 15, when it was under production, we couldn't do that. So that was all done by the people themselves. So the dozens of actors who trained for months. And um, so the different point about Train to Busan is that they can each show their own characteristics and that may be refreshing to the core friends who have grown used to the like the CGIs and because they can really feel oh, the dynamic absolutely. dynamic of it. Yeah, yeah. like I, I, I can't kind of strengthen that point enough, right? And when mm. there is CGI involved in this film, you really notice yeah. it. And that's one yeah. of the that's one of the the refreshings and great things about it is it just had this organic feel, like an old stage mm. production. Like it just felt it's so really raw. Yeah. Very raw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, that's a, it's a huge part of the appeal of the film uh-huh. and and that's interesting that he was actually he was actually in the in the movie yeah yeah but he said that it was also the disadvantage of it because was it that like in the dangerous scenes like where like zombies pour out of the window like they break the window you have to protect yeah. the actors right so <laughs> maybe on those like sort of like scenes impactful scenes impacting scenes like we can lack details but be- hollywood takes care of them with like the experts motion the cgis so he says that it right. has its yeah, yeah. advantages. You can't do – it's hard to do the mob scene because he – Yeah. But yeah. you can do the individual. That's why the train yeah. becomes such a great location because – I know. Yeah. It is a tight spot. It's, oh, it's the uh-huh. – You yeah. don't have to show 20 of them. You can only – you can show three at a time and it looks great. Uh-huh. There's yeah. actually a really great fight scene and, and I know I brought up Old Boy twice. But there is a fight scene where they – they follow the camera. Ah, yes, I see that. Yeah, in the in one of the trains, and it's very uh, profile, like uh, mm-hmm. almost like a side-scrolling video game from the eighties mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. or nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that scene, and I think it's just really well orchestrated. And then there is also the scene where the four guys are trying to fight their way through the train, and yeah. so um, uh, it, it's just like there's some interesting choreography, and that, that's another kind of fun element of the of the movie as well. Is that the there is some fun fighting as well in this thing. Mm. from the martial arts guy he's so good just put some tape on his wrists and just gets going Mm. from 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 Uh, car 13 to he's great the don don lee right don lee you are talking yeah you're talking about don lee yeah 
was he not that he must have been received really well in this film he's very likable he's like your typical guy that you love the, strong the whole man. the yeah. strong man that you know is gonna die he's just gonna make it almost to the end but not uh-huh. quite but he doesn't and, yeah not but quite. he doesn't exactly mm. he doesn't but he's so personable he's so relatable he's his you know he's also the guy who is the only guy who calls out anyone who's well, our main character for being an idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and Don Lee, of course, has gone on to do a bunch of stuff. Now he's in Marvel movies. He's in The Eternals. I know. I I, I know. I well, not From what I know, he said that in like the Korean press interviews that uh, the Marvel people contacted, contacted him after seeing the Train to Busan. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> Is that right, mm-hmm. eh? Look yeah. at that. You know, I, I didn't have this question um, on the on the list here, but... Did you see uh, the the sequel Peninsula? And I, I think it's Peninsula. Of course, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's one of the things, and and I'll reference the kids in my class again, who I reference a lot of times for for uh-huh. you know, different things. Uh-huh. They uh-huh. they were like they were like Train to Train to Busan was amazing, but Peninsula ah just didn't just didn't do it for me. What did you yeah. think of that film? I haven't I haven't seen it, but like if you, what are your thoughts on that one? <sighs> again. So, I mean, I get that. You can tell where this is going. I get that Director Yun has something about kids, you know, being like the future hope, our hope for the future. Like the generation's hope for the future are the kids. Uh, I think that also was said in Train to Busan when the little daughter and the pregnant woman survives Hmm. at the end, right? Uh, Again, in Peninsula, it it was the children who has to always survive and has to be always be protected. But uh, I guess he tried to put like little spin on it and have like the children also act out on their own. But again, it was all about sacrifice and simulating the waterworks and again, the drama. And I guess like people were like, again, are we uh, are you seriously going through this again? And I think it wasn't as received well as Train to Busan because you've already seen the movements of these zombies. The people were already impacted by it from Train to Busan. And in Peninsula, of course, it was although it was very, very well done, people weren't as, I guess, surprised. There were there were no like surprising elements. What else is new? Yeah. Yep. There, what, yeah. What ha- yeah. It, the same thing happens here in Hollywood, of course, with the idea that horror movie sequels are rarely as good as the original. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so true. All right, well, is there anything else, Jamie, you, you wanted to uh, ask that might be offbeat from what we had laid out here? Oh, yeah, I got, I got one question. So can you, um, can you give us the heads up on anything new and exciting to look out for? Uh, maybe something that will be coming out, a, a new TV show or a film? that we can talk about at parties and sound cool because we haven't heard about it. <laughs> like, so. uh, just just out on Netflix, have you guys uh, heard of it? The All of Us Are Dead. It's a, another no, zombie. No. It just came out yesterday oh. in Netflix. And it's a high school drama slash zombie. And I think you guys will oh, nice. like talking about it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at this. All these kids will love us. So, yeah, <laughs> You're giving us this place in class on, on Monday, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, it takes place in high school. So now high school kids are fighting zombies. <laughs> is this a is this a movie or a show? It's a show. It's a series. It's a twelve oh, episode okay. series. Uh, anything else, James? I, I don't think I have anything. No, that was great. Thank you for coming on, and Thank you. Uh, and answering the questions is a pleasure. Really appreciate it.
Oh, uh, it was a pleasure for me, and it was really interesting. No, because I haven't really felt it to the skin of how much, to the extent, Korean content is being vitalized over the world. And it's really interesting to hear that your uh, the the younger students are really like fanning over Korean content because I I thought it only applied to K-pop, and I didn't know that it has been expanded to other Korean content as well. So that was really interesting to hear. Yeah, and baseball yeah. too. In Toronto, we've got. Uh... Hyung Jin Ryu, he's our he's our he's our lead off lead pitcher. He's our ace. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's huge here. Yeah, mm. you know, keep in touch, and if uh, if there's of any course. other, yeah, no, for sure. If you ever make your way over to Canada, you know, it'd be good to mm. to meet in person. We say that to, you know oh, all the guests. Oh, that would be nice. And, yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. Well, awesome. thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. So Rob, I want to start with sort of themes and some central questions. And and I think one of the main themes is the idea of sort of family. One of the running kind of central main ideas is family. And, you know, you have this relationship between um, uh, Gong Yu, who is, I guess, this workaholic dad. And, you know, he's, they allude that he's somehow involved or he's a sort of, a little bit involved with what happened with the with the outbreak that sort of caused the zombie apocalypse, and then you know he's set next against his daughter Sue Ann, who uh, is clearly unhappy, and that's really the central sort of thrust of this film is that she wants to get to Busan to be with her mother, and you know one of the things that um, one of the things that I find with this film is you know just how how poor of a father and just sort of the bad decision making that this guy makes. <laughs> repeatedly right so uh, you know and not to make light of it because you know people are in situations where you know if their dad is working a lot or if their mom and, and it can be sort of difficult but uh, you know i think and i want to go and just sort of I, I like lists rob you know that i love lists and i want to talk about sort of the five sort of missteps that this guy's making <laughs> as a father and then really that's juxta- juxtaposed against don lee's character who so he's he's about to become a father and he's traveling with his pregnant wife and you really see uh, how the two of them are set against each other for large portions of the film and really how different they are and, and sort of how they move or uh, Gong Yu moves, moves towards where sort of Don Lee's character is. But Rob, what's your take on family and sort of the importance of that dynamic in this film? Yeah, so I think this film kind of preaches the idea that family is, you know, not, was it earned? Would you say like you have to like, or, you know, family is to be cherished and it can't be bought. Um, 100 yeah you know um I'm trying to think of a more eloquent way to say that but it's clear it's clear that suku is completely incompetent as a father in the sense that he thinks he can kind of uh, maintain or achieve his daughter's love by just like plug and playing like you know checking the boxes like oh here's your new uh here's your new you know uh nintendo wii and she's like yeah you got that for me last year dad Um, you know, oh, uh, I'm not going to make your recital, but uh, I'll send a video camera. And she doesn't even know. And so she's just like, you know, practicing this song for him. And she, he just like, and she fails completely because he's not there. And so instead of him getting a recording of her singing a good song, it's a, it's a recording of her having an emotional traumatic, like, you know, she's crumbling up there on stage. And he doesn't even recognize that part of it. Like he doesn't even recognize that he just thinks she's kind of shitty at singing. And then he realizes later, like, oh, like, that's why she sucked. Like, she she expected me to be there and I didn't show up and she fell apart. So, um, 
The interesting thing with him is that there's sort of this comparison character, which is uh, Yeon Suk, which is played by Yoo Sung Kim. He's the older gentleman who kind of takes control of the train, even though he's just a passenger. Uh, But he's obviously some important businessman. And he's like a very jaded kind of horrible character. And you can kind of see that all the decisions he's made in his life are are essentially where Sukwu is going. Like if he continues to to uh, be who he is and continue on the the path he's put in front of himself, he will become this man. And so he's got this point of comparison. So he's trying to save his his daughter, but he's looking at this guy being like, oh, I get it. You're like, you're the worst version of me. Like I could become you. So I guess he, what he's, you know, and throughout the movie, he's kind of like trying to re-earn his daughter's love. And, and, and you know, I guess it finally occurs to him that the, at the soul of it all, at the core of it, he obviously still loves his daughter and feels completely obligated to do whatever he can for her. And, and that's one of those things that all fathers can understand. So there's that thing about like, you know, you can't just assume that your passion love for your kid is enough to raise them. It doesn't, you know, like, uh, the participation is way more, it's just as important as the passion sort of, you know, everyone has that, you know, defense mechanism about their kids but turning that on just at the right time uh doesn't make you a great dad it's just like it's like that's the basics dude yeah exactly and i like how the director is laid out it's like a and i think it's it's a classic film trope where you know you've got all different sort of spectrums of you know, in this case, is like parental ability, right? You've got the one guy who is not being a great dad. You get the one guy who's a good dad, and you get sort of the older gentleman who is just he's he he can't be rehabilitated, right? Yeah, and and you know what I mean, and yeah, like that point you make about the passion, the want to kind of be there, it can't replace your actual your actual um, being, you know, being in that one spot, right? Mm. And and that's and that's why. You know, I, I was like sort of cultivating a list here of the top five sort of shitty dad moves that this guy does with his daughter, right? <laughs> top five shitty dad moves. And I was thinking like, yeah, top five shitty dad moves. And if I'm going to go on this list, and you can, Rob, you can tell me if you agree with me or not here. But one of the things is, I think the, the I'm not going to put them in any order, but one thing is absolutely not attending the recital. You know, for me growing up and, you know, we're going to throw Don Roberts. We're going to have a couple of Don Roberts <laughs> shout outs right now. Man. You know, my, I love my dad. <laughs> but <laughs> Where is this going? Yeah. Okay. No, you know what? That's what, You know what? Like my dad, he was, you can say what you want about my dad, but he was always there at, um, at my softball practices and, you know, like every relationship with your parents, you're going to have your ups and downs. You're going to have your good days, your bad days, your good weeks, your bad weeks, but he, he was always there. Right. And, and that's what I remember now as an adult. So I can, I can say that that is just such, such a shitty move to not attend the recital when your daughter there is, is really putting everything on the line to sing that song. And she forgets her lines. She's totally paralyzed by disappointment. Yeah, it's like Eminem, yeah. like in the battle rap. She just chokes. <laughs> exactly. So, and then you actually alluded to. I'm going to hard agree one. on that one. I'm going to hard agree on number one. Hard agree. Okay. So yeah. the second one right here. So, Children's Day. So he comes in and he knows he's Mr. Recital. He's talking to his mom and he's got the Wii. <laughs> <laughs> Like, 
<laughs> she, she does, you know, and she's really good. Eh? She's one of the best actors in here. Like she's straight faced and she just, she's got this look of disappointment and she looks over to the corner. <laughs> it's like the fucking same wheeze right there. It reminded me of, you ever see the movie, the Santa Claus with Tim Allen? Yeah, I don't remember it well though. You know, when like they all roll up to, uh, I don't know, it's like St. Hubert's or Denny's or something on Christmas Eve night. And, and the ki- all, there's like all these kids with their dads and like half of the dads have their hands, you know, wrapped up because they burned the turkey and like <laughs> they, they look so disappointed. It just reminded me of that. Right. And it was like, you know, this is, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to bring it back to Don Roberts is one of the things is I always like, Rob, you knew me as a musician, right? As a, you know, as a kid, I always wanted something musical. Right. And I always wanted something just, just, just to show me that you were, that you were listening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I never, when it was Christmas, I'd always, you know, I'd get like clothes or I'd get a toy or a baseball glove, but I never got any with music. And it always, like, it really bothered me over the years. You know, I still, <laughs> in my 40s, I'm still harboring this. And I never just, I don't know, I felt like it, it just uh, immediately I thought of that where, you know, I got over it now, but, you know, she's got the Wii so that he, he's not paying attention. He's not really He's not paying listening. attention to like what's in her room. It's like, <laughs> exactly. He's, like, he's so out to budge that he hasn't even like walked through her room <laughs> in the last six months to be like, oh, she has a Wii. Yeah. Or like, exactly. what's that thing she's always playing with? Oh, the Wii. So that tells you like he's probably home after bedtime all the time. Like he's just not around. Yeah, exactly. He's not around. So you agree. You know what I mean? He's oh, it's just the same hard, gift, right? That's like agree. a shitty dad. Well, you can't, the other thing can't is get he, that same gift. He obviously didn't even buy it himself. He asked either someone he asked the guy at work, right? So yeah. either that guy suggested the same thing twice, which is not his fault, but also he also probably got someone to go get it for him. Yeah. Like he didn't get it himself. And so he's just so obtuse. Like he's so out to lunch on this issue. All right. So what about and one of the things that um, we know this is role modeling is huge. You know, my job as a teacher, I'm role modeling all the time. Us as parents, we're role modeling all the time. And, you know, my wife is amazing at it. Me, sometimes I have, I forget that that they're watching and saying and doing everything that we're doing. So, like, you know, I'm not sure how much impact it has at this point. Because do you get the sense that this daughter just thinks her dad's a total fucking idiot anyways? Like, yeah, like not, do, he, he's already lost her, hasn't he? Yeah, like I kind of get that because the one scene, and it's actually a really impactful scene, is when they get off at Dagon Station and it looks like they are going to be quarantined by the military because the conductor has been able to, mm-hmm. it seems like secure safe passage. And then he calls, I guess, a contact that he has and they go a different way. And she goes, well, dad, why aren't you like, where are we going? He goes, we're going this way. And she goes, what about the others? And then he comes out and just says, forget the others. Mm-hmm. Just worry about us. Mm-hmm. And then the like, there's melodrama in this film. And then there's real emotion. And this is a, this is a spot where he's just so shitty. But her performance is so good. And she's just like, she's so disappointed yeah. in her father. Yeah. Like, not mad disappointed mm-hmm. and just like like you're an asshole which know? is like just, so much harder to deal with by the way as a parent <laughs> oh my god yeah exactly like i you know god forbid that charles or isla never look at me like that and and i make such a such a a, a move and actually this is after um right at the beginning of the film and which is my number four where 
this is the kind of man he is, right? Like, I think he's a little bit of a coward because, you know, right when there's the attack on the train and they're all running, I guess, towards first class and he's at the door, the sliding door, and he sees the pregnant woman and mm -hmm. uh, Don Lee's character. And there is clearly enough time for them to get safe passage through the door. He fucking slams it on their <laughs> face only to open it up later, right? You know what I mean? Only to open it up like five seconds later. And it's just like, people are like horrified that this guy's done it because they're saying, close it, close it. But he just is not, this guy is not making good decisions. And the director's he's setting not, him he's up. He's not making friends. He's not making friends. No, exactly. He's called a bloodsucker by, by Don Lee. And he's just, you know what? He's... You want him, like, you don't like him right off the bat. You kind of want him to die, and I don't know. Is there anything else about about this character? I know there's, there's, and I talked about it in my one line, there's a little bit of redemption that sort of happens with this character, but is there anything else you want to add to this to this main guy? I can't believe we missed this one. It's right at the beginning of the film. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to put his daughter on the train and send her alone. She's like not even 10 years old. And I mean, I know sometimes you got to do this. I'm a kid of divorced parents and occasionally, I think there was maybe a couple times in my whole life that one of them couldn't chaperone me the whole way or couldn't drive me. So they put me on a train and they put like a kid, they like team you up with like a, a kid, like one of the people who work on the train so that you sort of have someone supervising you. But I yeah. also, I'm pretty sure every time I went, it was with my sister who's eight years older than me. So even if I was little, she was probably in her teens. Um, so, He's thinking just of put you, just put put you on the train to Perth. Yeah, just send well, you on your yeah. Ride. Well, we go to Smith Falls, but yeah, um, you know, it's four and a half hours. It's a straight. Like, what am I going to do? I'm on a train. I can't do anything crazy. I can't jump off. So, but in this case, I'm still like, yeah, this girl's like nine or something, right? Like, how old is she? Do you think she's supposed to be? She like it, from what it, from what it looks like to me, I think she's probably anywhere between. I think she's older than nine. She's probably ten or eleven. Okay, I was gonna say she can't be past eleven, though, right? I think it's like grade four. I don't know, like what the it, what the grades are in Korea, but for me, is you know, I got. But I've she's preteen. She's not. A yeah. Child. Oh, for, for sure, man, for sure. And like she's pre-tween, I would say too. She, I would say she's pre like. Yeah, ten or eleven. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So still ten or eleven? Would you put a ten and eleven year old? Maybe maybe not nowadays. We wouldn't. Ten years ago, I, or twenty years okay, ago, I, would our parents do it? Ah, twenty years ago, they let us fucking do anything. Like you know, now can't do shit. I burned my tree fort down. I fell into the Humber River fishing with like the, the, you know, the Mormon <laughs> kid down the street. Like that was the best. And, I fell in the oh creek Oh my God, too. that was the best story. So like the only time ever in my life, the only time when my dad like, and my mom like fucking laid it down. I can't remember. I think his name was Jeremy. And, you know, I was like, I was young because I was living at Wentworth. I was like in grade two and I took off on my bike and there was like a ravine down there and there was the Humber River. And like we're we're fishing for bass. It's like this is in Toronto, okay? Like this is not in the country. People still fish there, by the way. Yeah, I fell in, man. I fell into the river. I could have died. Yeah, it moves pretty my, fast. My dad finds me. I've got my t-shirt hanging off my bike handlebars. I'm trying to dry it before I go home, like thinking thinking they're not going to catch me. And he comes in. He's like, no, I was like thinking thinking they're not going to know that. I, I love the, the I love the thought pattern there though. You were like, they'll never know if I just dry it out. No, you want to know what the punishment was? You want to know what the punishment was? Yeah. They didn't let me go to WrestleMania. But of all the forces in the universe, the two most powerful, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, prepare to explode. Champion versus champion. 
title for title. It's the ultimate challenge. It's WrestleMania. That's huge. Wrestle fucking mania. Oh my God. Like you would have wanted to go to that so bad. Yeah. So anyways, fucking, it was the two times, man. It was the Cypress Hill House of Pain Funk Dubious concert that they, I got grounded for. And then there was the, and then there was the wrestle, the WrestleMania. It was like the two most like epic experiences of my life fucking taken away. Wow. Anyways. It's getting back, I digress. Like I would be more comfortable putting putting a child on a plane than I would on a train. What do you think about that one, Rob? That's a hot take. No, I get it because there's more stops on a train, so there's more potential of uh, someone coming on and off, taking your kid, like getting on uh, at the second stop and getting off at the fourth stop and not going all the way to the yeah. fifth stop, right? And so, like, can, by the way, can we get some of these KTX trains in Toronto or like in Hamilton? Area? I know they're pretty. You quick. know, fat dude, three thirty. <laughs> How much? How fast do you think a go train goes? It goes three hundred thirty kilometers an hour. The train, three hundred and th- I looked it up, man. That's amazing. After, yeah, three hundred. Like go trains go what? Like seventy five? <laughs> yeah, but those are commuters. Those are commuter <laughs> trains. So those, yeah, we don't compare it to Via. How fast does Via go? Via goes maybe like one ten. No, like one forty. They're faster than cars on the highway, aren't they? Anyways, three thirty. We need to get some of that. That's like That's Maglev wild. train. Yeah, I've <laughs> been on that hyper- train. I did go to, I went from Seoul to Busan on the train. You did? I mean, yeah. You never told me this. Like, we never did that in the in the pre, in the green room. We never talked that. <laughs> well, I told you I've been to Busan. <laughs> and and like Busan is like the beach city of, uh, of, uh, of, of Korea. It's also like a port city. So it's, it's a very different vibe altogether than Seoul. Seoul is like a massive megalopolis. All right. For family, there's one other thing we should talk about is that there's two older sisters who are, you know, we talk about a bit with Jay Lim, but they're sisters who represent kind of the older generation of South Korean society who's, I guess that, you know, she identified this in that there's sort of this feeling that they're being left behind or they're being left on like uncared for. And that seems to be the situation here. Like they're they're kind of two old ladies trying to help each other because independently they, they would have a lot more trouble. And um you know, one of them is really like, oh, you do everything for everybody else. So she's like super yeah. considerate. She's bringing snacks on the train for everybody. Like she's brought lunch. She's she's just like super helpful. Like she kind of feels, uh, I don't know if she feels the need, but she's like. Well, that's just almost her. Like she, yeah, she services people. But yeah, I just just her. But her sister is a little bit like pissed with it. She's like, I'm done yeah. with that like way of life. And uh, at the end of the film. Yeah, we see that like the one who gives away everything for everyone else gets gets got by the zombies, and it's the sister who finally like decides uh, screw all these people who've been so selfish. I'm going to open the door. I'm going to go be with her, and we're going to die together. And uh, that lets loose the zombies that like attack and take over the rest of the the train, the train car with all the people who have held out to the end. So a really interesting take and kind of a kind of a hard take on you know, Korean society in terms of like where they've, where they've got to. Well, it, we, we, not that sorry, we're any better, right? Like I, yeah. I, we've got like old nurses homes and all that kind of stuff too, but nursing homes, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And that was something that we talked about with, and it's foreshadowed pretty hard at the beginning, right? You you alluded to that, right? Where she's offering things up to her sister and, and her sister says like, you do everything. And then her sister says like, fuck it. And I think it's a take at just overall society. It's a take at the actual situation that's unfolding. And just because she is so selfless and these people are so selfish led by this this main guy, this main businessman, who's kind of leading the pack to, to really just be ruthless and watch out for mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. I also think it's a take just, you know, um, with gender um, in Korean society. And that's another thing that we talked about, about how it's been a very uh, patriarchal society and has kind of reverted back to that in recent times. And, and you know, there's been much more of a thrust towards uh, and a focus on feminism. So I think that was like an interesting piece there. And I kind of, I watched that scene a few times and I was trying to rework it in my head and trying to think about all the different ways. And, you know, there's definitely a bunch of different ways to look at it, but definitely a striking scene, an impactful scene and one that one that I'm kind of left remembering. And it makes me think to a kind of larger question. And I, I don't want to get into a whole kind of existential conversation about it, but are we as people and you and and we're looking at through the lens of this film are we inherently sort of selfish or selfless because i think in train to pusan we definitely see characters who embody both sides of that both sides of that statement so what do you think rob like i as, as people like cuz i i think i think we'd like we'd like to think that we are selfless but in situations where it's like fight or flight situations where we panic situations where we're not thinking clearly i f- feel like we sometimes only look inward and that's it and you know i'm not sure that that's the best way to survive i don't know what do you think i mean when the zombies took over hamilton i was running for myself that's how i (laughs) I had to get out of there um no but like i don't know you know i've never been in one of those situations to know i think you're intrinsically gonna first think about yourself and try to you know protect yourself and try to figure out your way that to save your family. Like back when Walking Dead was super popular, you know, me and my wife and I, Mystica, would always joke and laugh about like how we would survive, how, what our what our plan would be to like, you know, escape the zombie apocalypse. But that yeah. those kind of shows show you that like once you get into a more complex arrangement with within a community, that definitely there's times where you know, it's going to fall apart and like your whole humanity will be questioned. It's an interesting take in the South Korean context because with the elderly that we, we were talking about before with the two sisters, because their society is very much based on kind of respecting elders. It's even in their language, yeah. right? Like now yeah. this is the layman here. So I'm not like, you know, deeply, uh, I don't have a deep understanding of South Korean language, but when I was there, how it was explained to me is that things like, you know, you've seen it in TV shows where people say, Anyang, and that means hello. But if you were te- speaking to someone older than you, you had to say, Anyang Haseyo. And Haseyo, I guess, is some sort of way of saying like, older than me person, like res- respected elder or whatever it is. And even like when you went to a grocery store or like a convenience store, people would, you know, say hi to Ajashi and Ajima, like the two, the, the older grandma and grandpa, like that's what they refer to. But yeah. it's just like, there was this like tone of respect that you're supposed to maintain. And even like some other things, like, you know, if you go drinking with your boss, you can't leave until he leaves. And that's like a sign of respect to like, I'm not going to like peace out from this until my boss is like, <laughs> yeah. And that's why you have to keep drinking with them, right? 
but like anyway, point being, and, and like that's a really simplified look at it, but that does. Uh, I love how this movie kind of throws that right in the middle of this crazy uh, survival moment and asks, you know, would this, would this, you know, part of our society, would it be maintained um, in a, in a situation like this, or would it just get thrown out the window and the old would be fed to the dogs kind of thing? Yeah. I, you know what, one of the, like, I, I think one of the things is there's so much just sheer panic in this situation. And yeah. I think it's, I think, I think it's, um, th- they do a really good job of, of laying that out because, well, one, they're panicking because not only is it like a fledgling zombie zombie apocalypse on the train, but the the zombies that we'll talk about them in a minute, they're like terrifying. And the way he's, he's got the the zombies Mm -hmm. looking and moving, like, it's just, people are panicking. People are really afraid because nobody's making good decisions. And like you said, if I draw that down to a, to a culture that not only should respect elders, but a culture that respect elders is generally a respecting culture uh, a, a thoughtful culture, a deep thinking culture. And then I think to something, you know, just one, one idea, you know, we want to survive yet the older businessman has decided to lock out sort of three people who are actually valuable assets. Mm. You've got the martial arts instructor, you've got the young baseball player who, who really could help them survive. And just through sheer petrified panic is just assuming, you know, it kind of, grasping at straws for for power right just mm-hmm. to keep them out and just because of, of what might happen that they might be infected um which is it, crazy because they've already seen it, people get infected well and they, exactly and they know the speed of infection is super fast yeah so, so that's one that's yeah. one exactly that's one of the things that yeah that's one of the things that i thought was a little bit of a i didn't want to like poke a hole in or saw some daylight in the story but absolutely like you saw people change really fast and it was like very stark in terms of how they changed and sorry, you want to get something in here. Well, I, I liked that though. I, I liked that they, there was an unreasonable uh, element to their fear. Like they were like, I don't know. He, who knows? They could still be bad. They could be lying to us. Who knows? Who knows? And like, they just weren't willing to trust anyone. Like there was just a line in the sand that they were like, no, if we want to stay alive, those three have to die. So fuck it. And like, I think that's realistic to be like almost unreasonably um, black and white about issues because you, are trying to like protect yourself. So that, that actually yeah. made sense to me, even though it was unreasonable, like, cause we knew at this point that the infection rate was so quick. Yeah. That's the other interesting thing about this movie, by the way, James, and I don't want to derail us too far if you're still on this point, but um, what'd you think about this film as being like, you know, we've seen other films where the zombie apocalypse is happening in the now, but a lot of movies move along a little bit. Like, you know, a week goes by or a couple of days go by and like you start seeing the, the patterns of survival start to take shape. Like even some of the recent uh, Dawn of the Dead. Oh, or fuck. Okay. I know where you're going with this and I, I just got to jump right in here. <clears throat> yeah. This is – okay. So in terms of the way that the zombie movie and and the time and the micro and sort of micro look at it, the macro look, the bird's eye view, the, the close-up view, the way it's displayed, I think this is absolutely fucking perfect. Yeah. And that's, that's what makes this movie. Like, honestly, man, <laughs> I was a huge Walking Dead fan. And I mm-hmm. just slogged through seven to eight seasons of that shit. And, like, there's only so many times you can see them going out into the woods <laughs> or fucking planting crops or, you know what I mean? And one of the biggest, like, one one of the biggest, one of the biggest critiques I had of Walking Dead, and I talked about this to anybody that would listen, is that, 
you never got a greater sense. You never got a bird's eye look at what was happening. You never got a, not even a global perspective. You never got a national perspective. You never got more of a provincial view of what was actually happening in 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 this community. Now there was a now at the right at the beginning they went into it. I think it was Atlanta, and then they went into this like the CDC facility, and and I guess they alluded there was a full breakdown of yeah all society the, the, uh, full breakdown of all society. But you know there was other countries. There was other like you know. It with so you never really knew. It was just fucking them in the community, and it was very, very regional in nature and very tribal in nature. Okay, with with this, let me just let me just make this one point. With this film, you get you get some of the shots of them coming to the station. So there's that sense of movement going to other cities. You see what's going on. You get the and we. I'm not going to get mm-hmm. into a whole media critique of this, but you get the government that um, comes over the the film to talk about kind of what's happening. On TV, you get yeah. Some, you see yeah, on TV. On, on TV. You get some of those shots of the cities and some of the explosions. And they're not telling, they're not telling the full story, so you kind of get a nice sense like, oh, they're hiding shit. Exactly. And then like, okay, so I like that there's those little things that are happening so you get a sense of what's happening mm-hmm. outside of the walls, but not too much so that it's He communicates with the general. Like, yeah, exactly. And like – on the far spec, I'm not going to go World War Z, but I just, I thought that, I thought that it was just, it was nice. Not that I need to know everything that's happening in a story, but it sort of filled that desire of, of curiosity in terms of mm-hmm. what's happening in the now, but also what's happening in the sort of what around. I don't know. Do you feel the same way about that? Well, absolutely. And I think like some of the better new zombie stuff, I like World War Z, not the, the movie's okay, but the book is really amazing because the book, the book is, is fa- yeah, the book is way better than the, than the movie. I read, I read it a couple of times yeah. actually. Well, the book takes place like after the apocalypse is done. So it's all about reflecting on like how it came to be and how it was solved and, and like what happened and some of the like, and I love how it takes you to places where you're like, you wouldn't expect that this would be such a, well, I mean, you might expect it to be a problem because there's a zombie apocalypse, but like it takes you to places you wouldn't expect to be intrinsic to the overall story of a zombie apocalypse. Um, yes, I had the same critique of Walking Dead where it felt like if it's so regional, like I almost want misinformation to be a bigger part of their story because you want them to be like so hyper-focused on or unable to understand what's happening just even like 200 feet away. And so it, it was like two Lord of the Flies, man, for, you know, for, for too for long, ten, for 10 years, for too long. Exactly. And I think I don't understand why so many filler. Um, Colotero, yeah. It, oh, well, that was the biggest issue. That's why it turned off. Right. And, and all the, like the, the torture porn when Negan came in, I just thought that they, they did an amazing job with the cultivation of Son of Double Entendre, just the cultivation of the story. Of, of zombies and just you know the governor and some of the you know season three season four really just about and then and then you did get like that little bit of it ex, of expansion but like you said there was just like filler after filler after mm-hmm. filler they, they didn't have any more story to tell and i one of my critiques is why they didn't go more kind of regional or expansive like that really could have um you know, sort of uh, reinvigorated, I think, the story. It, yeah. As long as you didn't stray too far away from what was happening, you could have gone to the West Coast and, you know, I don't know. I yeah, mean, they, just they saying, did right? spin-off shows that don't really cross or they had minor crossover. But yeah, like, I agree. Like, I liked how The Walking Dead talked about communities and how different communities form under this under this uh, 
this condition. But like, yeah, one character who's out on the wild and maybe is retrieving some new information every now and again would have been really nice. But yeah. anyway, we're getting way too far off. Yeah, yeah, sorry. What I was saying we love about this is it's that it's all happening very immediate in real time. And and that really speaks to the fact of like the train and the movement and like they're they're moving through land and like uh, the pacing that you were talking about. So much is like happening in like a domino effect. And uh, I just thought that was really cool because the train feels like it's like a tiny bit ahead of the pandemic or the the epidemic. But it's mm-hmm. but because it's also on the train, there's this fear that it's going to deliver it to Busan. So I mean. I think that's another interesting thing is that Busan is kind of seen as a safe ground because it was not occupied in the South and North Korean War. So Busan traditionally has that uh, history to it. So they're going to this like safe zone. But there is this fear that they could get to the safe zone and then deliver the problem to the safe zone too, right? Because they, they're bringing zombies on the train with them. So I, yeah. loved, I loved all the complex like – you know, man, like well, how is this going to end kind of question that was, that, was, that was hanging in the air the entire film. I, you for sure. I thought the same thing, right? Like they're, they're, they're escaping it, but then they're also carrying it. But I'm really glad that he didn't like the military gets involved in a big shootout. Like I'm, I'm glad that that didn't happen because it kept the film understated. It kept the, it it kept the film focused on characters Mm -hmm. and that's really the strength of the movie, right? Like the pacing is amazing, but the performances and the characters are, are fantastic. There is some huge moments of like fat, wet, sloppy melodrama in this movie. Oh my god, man! <laughs> this was a this was like the big critique from the film was that there was too much emotion. So, well, uh, well, t- I, take- th- I think there is that there's a history of melodramatic film that they yeah. were, they're starting to reject, and like they were saying, like this movie's kind of leaning on some old, you know, tropes, some old melodrama that that they are kind of getting sick of. Um, or at least like, you know, the more critical audience was getting sick of. And so, yeah, there's a couple key moments, like the death of, um, the character's name is, um, well, Jin Hee. Jin Hee, yeah. And Yong Gook. Uh, Yong Gook is a baseball player. And so their death scene is straight out of Romeo and Juliet, right? Like she, she gets attacked, just like surprised and she gets bitten. And then he's laying there with her and he's crying and he waits for her to turn and take him. Like yeah. he, he, he gives up on life and says, you know, we're, we're going to be together forever kind of basically. But he he waits for her to like reawaken as a zombie and maul him to death. So it's – it's and you're watching him being like, what are you doing? Go, 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 go. He's but, in love, man. Yeah, he doesn't go. So Star-crossed lovers. It's a good way to write them out of the film because at that point we're running out of time too. And you're kind yeah. of wondering like, oh, where are they going to end up? So they get got. And then, of course, we got to talk about the scene where <laughs> – <laughs> Suk Woo has locked his daughter in the front of a train with the pregnant mother who's lost who's lost her man now. And and so he travels to the back of the train basically to die because he's like, I'm gonna turn. And in his final moments, he has these flashbacks of his daughter's birth. And for some reason, his daughter oh is God. born in this like the scene is some like white hospital and he's wearing like <laughs> white linen and it's like soft focus, everything. And the light is shining in and it's like absurd. It is like, yeah, it's, and it's, like it's also fucking... like, it's absurd because it also doesn't belong in this movie. Like we've never seen anything else like this in this movie. Is it supposed to be like his memory and like, it's a very idealized memory or is it just like, I, no, 
I think they just like didn't realize or like they just went too far with the melodrama like 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 uh like we said and and they just like decorate it in a silly way. But <laughs> when I watched it, I first thing I was like it it honestly reminded me of because my wife watches the Dawson's Creek episodes <laughs> like fucking it's her third time through Dawson's Creek. It reminded me of like those guys and like because it's all very like soft like you said soft lighting pastels like they're they're in like the white li- oat not <laughs> oatmeal shirts you know what i mean and they're on the they're on the beach that's what it reminds me of so he's in you're right he's looking down intently at his daughter but you know what they should have just dropped in <laughs> like yeah, exactly it is but so you know corny what? No, but you're calling bullshit on it, and it totally didn't fit. I was like watching, like, what the fuck? I actually, I might have been close to shedding a tear at that point because <laughs> it it just because it sucks you in because you you do like one of the things that the movie. I had really the opposite well. feeling. It, no, 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 it hold, me on, out. hold on. It, you fall. You're 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 on this journey with the characters, so you're kind of you're on this journey with them, and then you eventually see. And as a father, as a parent, you feel connected to it, but. This was a point of critique in the film, like that people thought that this was totally ridiculous. Like it didn't need to be there. It was there, you know, functions as a device to make you cry or at least try to make you cry. Right. Mm -hmm. And it also is, is really unfair. It's unfair to, it's unfair to the, to, I don't know, all those women out there that have had like sort of deadbeat husbands, you know what I mean? They haven't done their part because what it does is it's it's this redemption of this character that doesn't deserve it, and you mm. you and you know that's that's not fair, right? Like you know you're even if you call bullshit on it, there's there's other people that will be like, oh, he he really was a good guy after all. You know what I mean, he <laughs> yeah. really did believe, he really did care, and that's fucking not that's bullshit man like it's just not right and i don't like the fact that it was in there and you're right aesthetically filmmaking wise cinematography it was like way something different than we had seen right like a korean soap opera it actually reminded me of soap opera so in a, in a north american movie he survives and he becomes a better father because of this this thing that happened like he he, he comes to the realization um, and then he survives and then he becomes a better dad. That would be like, well, I don't know if that's what we would do in North America, but that's kind of the arc that. That's like an American. Yeah. Like an that's American the tale. Yeah. But, but here they, they decide to cut that short, which I think is kind of cool because it's like, okay, you had your one redeeming act. You kept your daughter alive during the worst possible situation. So you did that much, but you're right. The scene kind of, I mean, I, See, I, I interpret it as him just remembering you know what I, you know, like the moment that she was born is where that love is immediately born. But you're right. It makes it feel like he. See, you're in, you see that that's the thing. He Even becomes an he, angel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Right. Like he's, or maybe really the fact that he's going to heaven. Right. And like, maybe, maybe it's just a, it's just a foreshadowing of both of them dying. But would this and guy go to heaven? Ah, hello. It's nice to see you all here. Now, as the more perceptive of you probably realized by now, this is hell. That's a good question. Yeah, or maybe for his his actions in the in the, you know, in in his final hours, maybe it's inevitable that the daughter will die and that they'll all go to heaven. I don't know. There's lots of different interpretations of it. You know, one of the things actually I thought just since we're on this right here is I thought it was actually more realistic. Um, Young Suk 
how he how he dies, right? The old you guy. Know, yeah, the old guy, because at least in terms of the emotional response, because he is this clearly this man that's has a position of power because he that's sort of the authoritative way that he conducts his his business and talks to those around him. He's used to having that power. And he gets close to well, he he definitely is is a bit of a coward. Maybe he's never had tough moments in his life. And, you know, he's scared. He's doing whatever he can to stay alive, and he comes to the end of he, like, his. Like he's like anything. Like he is stealing he anything. Is, yeah, he, he is he, killing other people. While he's putting other people in danger to die. He is hiding. He's he he even sacrifices a dude back on the train. He tells him to go out of the bathroom first and lets him get eaten. Then he runs out. Like yeah, and he, then he's and what is that? What's the phrase? He will beg, beat, and steal, or whatever. Beg, cheat, and steal. Yeah, lie, cheat, and steal to yeah. to to live. And how does he? How does he die or how is he characterized as he dies? He turned into a zombie and he's calling for his mother. Mom. He's like, mommy, I just want to go home, which really I think is meant to show that he's a scared little boy underneath all, all that bluster. And maybe that's what we all are is just not scared little boys, but it's all an act. You know, it's more of a com. It's more of a, a proviso and the kind of just – I don't know. I, I'm not getting. I'm not going to get too deep down that rabbit hole. But I just thought that that was smart by the director, not to. I, I just it just worked with that character. I really liked it, and it was it was emotional because you definitely. I didn't feel for him, but I felt maybe for his mom. We like things that we can talk about. We like things that make us think that have multiple interpretations. Um, and I think this checks all those boxes in terms of like your social comment, like all that stuff is great in terms of being a horror film, man, I, there was a couple of like freaky moments with the zombies, especially at the beginning, uh, with that girl who changes D like definitely a couple of moments. There's some good kills, there's some good blood. I don't, I love the fact that there's limited CGI in this film and that it's all fairly realistic. And then just, it's a movie. So I want a story and this has a great one. I love the characters. They're all unique. They're all individual. I wish actually, and I, I remiss we didn't do more. We should have talked about Sue Ann a little bit more, the young girl. She's a, she's fantastic in it. Rob, I think as a horror film, like this is not the scariest film ever. This is, I, I'm not sure that zombie films for me are very scary. Like there's other subgenres of horror films that I find a lot scarier. But zombie films for me aren't aren't that scary. This is a very entertaining film. This is like an action movie. It's an action thriller zombie kind of kind of film. Rob, I am going. I'm going four footsteps. I'm going four and a half. I'm going four footsteps and two toes on this one. Yeah. <laughs> what, what what made you go a half over four? If I would just go four. I, it's four is very good. Okay. Four is very good. So, it, you know, the story's got to be good direction. Why I give those extra two is little things, little, little attention to detail, like the movements of the zombies. I find not mm -hmm. just really, not just very good, but like it's excellent. Or I find, um, I find the, the definition of the characters like really well worked. Yeah. They've thought about the characters, okay? Especially the ensemble that they bring together who gets screen time. They've thought about how they all kind of fit together. Diff ages, demographic, um, mm -hmm. 
uh, socioeconomics, like all, all, you know what I mean? Exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So there's definitely like it's layered properly and there's, there's depth to it where I take away, you know I mean? The point, the point eight there is you do have some of that cheesiness that was just crystallized by Jay Lim when we talked to her that we called out like, like fucking Dawson's Creek's parts and, you know, just areas where it probably, it was a little bit unnecessary, but this is a movie that I would recommend to anybody. I loved it. And anybody that I know that has watched this movie has, has, if not really liked it, loved it as well. Rob, four footsteps, two toes. Wow. Okay. So I have to agree with a lot of your uh, compliments of the film. Love the characters, love the layering, love the critique of South Korean society or capitalist society, especially in a moment of complete chaos. I love the zombies. I love the the way they move, the contortion. I love the fact that it's set on a train and it's moving and like that creates such an interesting dynamic of how the film is on, like how the story is rolling. Are they going to be safe? Are they going to a safe place? Are they bringing the zombies to the safe place? Are they actually the problem? Like, are, you know, is someone going to blow up their train along the way? Um, that kind of thought occurred to me like, oh man, what if that's like, that's how the movie ends is this, like they bomb the train so that it doesn't get there. But like, there's so many interesting questions and like plot or like just storytelling going on here that you're like, and you want to know more. Like you never really know what the answer is going to be. So that's so much fun. Um, great performances, some really fun characters. Um, so there are some jump scares. So I do think there is a little bit more, is a little scarier than maybe you said, but you're right. They're mostly, okay. I see the mostly as jumps. They weren't like, I was never scared of the zombies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no like real like tension in this film. Yeah. Like you kind of always knew who was going to go. And I mean, I never knew the order or anything, but I had a feeling like it would come down to a very few. I didn't think Don Lee was necessarily going to go. I thought he, uh, maybe I thought he was just going to make it longer, but because he had the wife, I thought he was going to be safe. So he was a bit of a surprise. Anyway, all to say, um, I'm going to give this one, yeah. You know, there is some melodrama that I do believe also, you're right, it's got to come off the top. That white's that scene in white is so silly. I mean, we talked about it with uh, Jay Lim too, like the singing at the end of the daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's singing the tune from the recital. She remembered the words this time. Yeah. She's still <laughs> terrible. She's still way off key, horrible, pitchy. She just doesn't, she's got to believe. She's got to just, you know, she's not breathing properly. I think maybe music, you know, maybe instruments that might be her, her way forward, though. I don't know about the singing. She might need to. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it four and a half as well. It's just such a, it's such a good film. It's so original and unique and has so many good ideas in it. I, I can only take off because of that, those a couple scenes where it gets a little too melodramatic. Um, if you're all, if you're hung up on believability, maybe you'll have some issues with like, oh, they're fighting so many zombies. These guys would be out of gas so quickly. And that's probably true, but at least they supported that a little bit with like the fact that it's on a train and the zombies can't really get through the aisle. Like they're, they're, they're funneled. You've got a pro athlete as one of the fighters. So he could probably manage to fight for a long time. You got a Kung Fu fighter. Who's like, obviously also ready to go for a long time. So they kind of like hedge their bets a little bit. So like, I don't know, even the unbelievability parts are just super fun. So I'm not too worried. Four and a half. Great film. Recommend four and a half. That's what you said, isn't it? You got four and a half too, right? No, dude. I did four footsteps and two toes. 
So I did two and a half toes. So <laughs> that's the difference. I, I cut the pinky off in half. I still so what is that like total? Is that like a nine point seven five? What the fuck is that? Anyway. It's a good rating, man. This is like this is this is a this is a film that we uh a film that we liked. Yeah, and I would so, recommend it. I, I, I also agree. I'd recommend it. Oh, yeah, anyone. go out and watch it. It's on Netflix or on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Go out and watch it. Just before we go, I want to shout out um, a podcast that has kind of given us some love and has, you know, done a little bit of work for I won't say work for us, but it shut us out. Um, you got to check out the Running is Bullshit pod. So anybody that listens to us likes our jogcast, you got to you gotta check out uh, Running is Bullshit pod. These guys are based, it's actually a guy and a girl based out in the UK. And really what they talk about is they're runners and they uh, basically just talk about why running as a sport is just totally bullshit. For example, their last episode is falling over while running is bullshit. So it's funny they're pretty affable. They talk about some stories. They talk about their own personal experiences. And for myself, like, you know, at Running Scared Media, we do podcasts. We do, <laughs> we do, we do reviews. We do jogcasts. We do everything, right? Like, I'm a huge runner, and I've definitely had a few times when I've fallen over. Uh, you know, I mean, trying to cut a corner in the winter, a little bit too tight, a little bit too hot. So I know what it's like. So, anyways, check that out. Um, running is bullshit. Um, okay, Rob, what do we got going on in, in the future? Me and you, busy guys with work, but also busy guys with, um, and yeah, I've called it Running Scared Media. We've, we're, we're branching out. What do we have going with, um, with Running Scared in the, uh, in the next month? Uh, be prepared, folks out there. We might have a new look on our album cover soon. We are currently kind of uh, exploring a logo and uh, just kind of cleaning up our whole look because we started off pretty basic and we're, you know, we didn't want to put any money in at the time. Uh, but now we're starting to see, like, hey, maybe we should make this look a little more profesh. So we'll a couple see. of guys like us, you know what I mean? <laughs> Let's see where that goes. So, yeah, don't be shocked if your um, album cover changes in the next couple of weeks. We definitely – we're writing a new Jogcast. If there's any movies that you'd like us to review, you can send us at uh, the Running Scared Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to follow us, you can do that at Twitter at Running Scared PD. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do that at Running Scared Pod. Uh, and then, you know, we're going to be doing another jogcast. We're going to be doing another review. And eventually when I have time uh, or, you know, when Rob and I have some time, we'll get going on another episode of Terrifying Tracks. So, Rob, this was a great conversation. Um, I want to thank you. Cheers to 25, man. Yeah, cheers to you, buddy. And a special thanks to Jay Lim Lee, who helped us out on this one with the interview. Really interesting. And thanks for helping us, you know, get some context on uh, both South Korean society, but also the film itself and how it was received, as well as the film industry over there. Yep, absolutely. Perfect. And you know what? We will see you next time on Running Scared. The Running Scared podcast is written and produced by Jamie Roberts and Robert Lendrum. Edited by Robert Lendrum. With original music by Jamie Roberts. Find us on social media and tune in next time for another episode of Running Scared.